Rob Whitweimer. If you guys don't know Rob, I, I said this in the first service, but I'm going to say it again because his wife wasn't in here. But uh, if that doesn't describe the kind of man that he is, just in a little bit of emotion, that he would get to the point where he could see how important a backpack is uh, to the kids in, at the Carver Center, uh, the word that comes to mind when I think about Rob is faithful. He would have been a great fireman. He shows, he shows up, he gets it done, he doesn't complain, he makes it happen, and he goes home. He's faithful. Uh, he's a good man. He loves his wife well. He loves his kids well. Uh, they got a bunch of them now. Um, but I love you, Rob. Thanks, man. Thanks for stealing the thunder. How am I supposed to beat that with this sermon? And my brother and my sister-in-law are here, Adam and Jenny. Rave your hand, guys. They braved the parking lot that Rob so graciously ex- described how difficult it can be uh, on a Sunday morning, especially since they opened the pier. Man, it is crazy over there now. Yesterday I was here uh, working, finishing uh, this bad boy up, and it was crazy. Just motorcycles everywhere, cars everywhere. It was like, oh, it's still, we're in the thick of summer. It's coming to the end, though. It's been pretty hot. Um, but it's been an awesome time here for our, our church. Uh, that you heard a little bit about of it. It's been, summer's been pretty busy, man. We got almost 30 of our students and uh, some of the uh, anchors in Costa Rica on their first mission trip. My baby is there. They're coming home today, her first ever mission trip. Uh, that's happening. They're in Costa Rica. Passion camp, we had almost 50 kids go with us. It was super cool. And like uh, Gerald said, we had the baptisms last week. 14 people got baptized in this, uh, in this room. It was awesome, and it's kind of fitting. The, the, the message is called Water and Blood, so I think it's kind of neat. Uh, that's coming right out of First uh, John. I'm going to show you that in a minute. I just think it's kind of neat where we've been as a church and how this is landing uh, today. I'm excited, um, and I didn't even drink that much coffee, and I'm excited. Uh, two weeks ago, Derek was started this chapter, so we're going to actually finish First uh, John 5, and there are some super cool words in this thing, man, like some of the most perplexing words in the New Testament, they literally don't really know exactly what it means, but I'm going to tell you what I think it means, because <laughs> I know everything. No, just kidding. I'm, I just, I like this stuff. I, you'll see. I'll get into it, but Derek was, was starting the chapter, and I told everybody in the first gathering, too, he's, Derek has this way of just saying things, uh, and they just, they stay on you, and they just, they, they kind of resurface two or three days later, and uh, I listened to that sermon that he spoke um, at the fire station, because I was working uh, that day, and he said this, and I thought it's so fitting for what we're, we're fixing to talk about now. He says, sometimes there's nothing better for the soul than to descend. Sometimes there's nothing better for the soul to, than to descend. And I, man, what an awesome way to describe humility and repentance and how we come to God is to just get low, descend. And I don't even think he meant it, but it also kind of describes baptism, doesn't it? Is that we descend into the water. So cool. He's an awesome preacher. I told him, hey, man, I'm going to mention this. I really liked it. And he said, he got all excited. He goes, that wasn't even in my notes. And I was like, how do you just be this good at it? Like you drop bombs like that and it wasn't even your notes. I got a lot of notes. I got to say all the words I wrote down uh, at least. But yeah, I, he's, he's great. He's a good buddy. And uh, he's a good preacher. You're a good preacher, Derek. Sorry, stop the, the Derek love fest. Will you all please stand? Stand for me. We're going to read from the... Uh, uh, God's word, and I want to honor these these uh, passages because I, I think they're so amazing. First John chapter five verses six through twelve. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. 
For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and they are all in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed God's testimony about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You may be seated. Thank you guys very much for that. So I'm going to do a really quick recap on the guy that's writing this book. This is John. We've talked about this all summer. But for those of you who find yourselves here, you haven't heard any of this stuff. John was one of the disciples. He was known as the disciple of love. And he must have just been a really, really amazing guy to have that thing. In fact, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he's dying. His mother is in front of him. He looks at this guy, John, the disciple of love, and he says, John, this is my mom. Take care of her. And tradition teaches that John did, that he, some tradition teaches that John stayed in Jerusalem with Mary until her death and then left and went to Asia Minor, which is in modern-day Turkey. Some believe he took Mary with, with him to Asia Minor and stayed with her until her last breath. But can you imagine, I mean, Jesus, the Son of God, is entrusting this guy, his very own mother, which is a big deal in our culture, but, you know, the sons were supposed to take care of the mothers in, in, in Middle Eastern Palestine times. It was very... It would have been a very big deal for Jesus to ask uh, John to do that. And John's message, like we talked about, he doesn't speak linear. It's like circular. He makes these like really intense statements, and then he goes on like these rabbit trails, but he always comes back to them and like puts another spotlight or a different view of what he just said, and he does that a lot. But one thing you know about John's writing, he wrote the Gospel of John, and he wrote these three letters. He also wrote Revelation. He talks a lot about love. He's constantly repeating these phrases like, love one another. Love each other. This is the command. Love each other. Little children, love one another over and over. That's his message. He's passionate about love one another, right? And uh, I think he did that to me. I think it's because he knows it's the one thing the world can't counterfeit. The evil can't fake love. Like he saw it. He talked about seeing Jesus in human form and seeing what love looks like in a human being, that God is love, and this is how we are to love one another. This is how we are to be disciples. And he knew that there was no way to counterfeit it. The real love of God is, is it's the most powerful thing that exists in the universe, and I think that's where he was going with it. And so with that view, and also I'm, I think Derek mentioned it, uh, in the beginning, I can't remember now, but the, so one of the biggest theological enemies of the first church, the first 300 years, was this, these, uh, there was this uh, teaching called Gnosticism, the Gnostics. And what they believed, they were, it was going through all the churches that, hey, that Jesus wasn't a human being. He was like this super spiritual being thing that just looked human, and, he, and he, he had this secret knowledge that only some people could know and other people can't know. So they were teaching, their whole thing was the eradication of, of ignorance. Knowledge was the all-supreme being, was Gnosticism thing, and Jesus was the spiritual version of it, but not a human being. He wasn't water and blood. So you see John is writing, kind of uh, attacking this heresy, right? Like Christians weren't about secret knowledge or, 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 or information. They were about the, the eradication of sin, which is what Jesus studied. He, he takes the sin of the world. That's what was taught. Um, 
But John, you know, he's returning. You're about to see, we just read it. He returns back to the, how he started the very first chapter. Look, we are witnesses to this. We saw him. We saw him. We touched him. We walked with him. We watched him cry. We watched him sweat. We watched him bleed. He is the son of God. We saw it with our own eyes. And he taught us that we can know him, like personally know him. We can know the God of the universe. It's possible. In the most basic human way, we can know him. And he loves us. And he commands us to love others. This was his message about Jesus, right? He's, he's right there again with all these, these words. And like I said, this, this whole, that whole phrase, this blood and water, not water only, but blood, has been studied for 2,000 years, and nobody really knows exactly what it means. I mean, they have a lot of ideas and a lot of thoughts, but they haven't definitively uh, pinned down what they, what they think it actually means. There's a scholar named, last name Plummer. He said, this is the most perplexing passage in the epistle and one of the most perplexing in all of the New Testament. Some uh, believe that it was representation of baptism and drinking the cup of communion. This is the cup of my blood. Um, Martin Luther and John Calvin both taught that. Some believed it was the pierced side. Remember Jesus hanging on the cross and he dies. And scripture says they take a spear and they stab him. And when they do, blood and water flows out. Uh, Augustine taught that. And some believed that uh, it was a reference. Jesus was referring to his bas- baptism. His, his cousin baptized him, John Baptist. Uh, and his shed blood, the blood on, on the cross at Calvary, Tertullian. He was an ancient philosopher. He taught that. And here's what I want to say. I said all those cool guy names on purpose. We don't have to be scholars or theologians to get what God is speaking to us in the Bible if we read it. It's for us. The word of God is for us, not just for those with secret knowledge or those who have titles that are scholars. And I think they're all right. I think it means it all. I think, I think, and think about it, man, wouldn't that be like God to communicate so much with two things, water and blood, all of it. I think they're all right. I think it also describes you and I. It describes our existence, our human experience on this earth, water and blood. Think about it. Our mothers, they sweat and they cry and they bleed, giving us life, don't they? Water and blood. Our very first breath out of the womb, what are we covered in? Water and blood. It's how it all starts, the human experience. We all care a lot about water. We sweat it. We have to drink it. We cry it. Like Rob. Finally, someone else to make fun of about crying besides me. This is awesome. Sheesh. Get it together, man. Uh, Sometimes the work we do makes us sweat and bleed, blood, sweat, and tears. We search the galaxy for it. Lance, uh, he's running sound back there in between services. He brought that up. It's like literally they will search the galaxy to look for the presence of water. Water is life is the way uh, Derek was, we were talking about it before uh, uh, in between uh, services. Water, think about your experiences with water, man. Like light, like this is a big deal here at the beach. We have the whole giant ocean, and we love it. We want to be near it. In Jacksonville, water is a big deal. We've got the St. John's River. We've got all the tributaries. We've got the ocean, and it's a part of who we are. We've got boaters, fishermen, surfers, paddleboarders. We're surrounded by water. We all want to live by water. 
We have fun in water. I mean, think about it. I remember when I was 17. That was 26 years ago. Uh, Sarah's mom and dad, I can't believe they would do this because I would never let Kaylee do this yet, even though she's almost an adult. We took a trip down to Orlando as 17 years old. We've probably been going out for, what, maybe six, eight months, and uh, it was awesome. We went to a water park called Wet and Wild. Remember that place? And it was just me and her, and even to this day, it was one of the most fun times I ever had, just going through the water park together, teenagers. I found 20 bucks in the tide pool. It was awesome. I'm like, this can't get any better. Before I had any problems, you know, it's like, I got a girl, I got 20 bucks, you know. Water, water parks. Uh, I remember first time going to Costa Rica. I was young. I had little kids. Sadie was a, a baby. She, you know, young enough where they wear those cool swimmy diapers. Remember those things? And they don't hold all the extra and they can swim in them. So cute. She's a little blonde thing. We're in Costa Rica. If you've never been, it's beautiful. Different color sands, different beaches. And me being a young fireman, I'm invincible. I was like, ah, nothing could kill me. Uh, I didn't realize that the Pacific is a very much different ocean than the Atlantic. Because uh, there's these things called rogue phantom waves that will just show up, and they are bad if you have a baby with you in waist-deep water, which is what I was doing. So I'm just taking her out, and she's happy, and my other little kids are surfing around, and all of a sudden, here comes one like a freight train. And I'm like, oh, man, and it's coming out as fast, and I got her. She's not wearing a life jacket, and I'm like, what do I do? My mother-in-law, Celeste, my two sister-in-laws are on the beach, and Sarah, they're all seeing this thing happen, and I'm like, ah, ah, and I, I, do I go towards it? Do we go under? Do I try to run in? I made the worst decision. I did nothing. I just stood there with the baby, and man, boom, it smashed us. It uh, blah, 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 rips her out of my hands. I got her by one arm. She's just under the water going, blah, 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 blah. We come up, and I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I've got this looking for her. I got her. I'm like, oh, thank God she's right here. I pick her up. I'm like, ah, ah, ah. And I look onto the beach. You have never seen so much angry women in your life. <laughs> they, my mother-in-law, Celeste, did not get mad at me much. She was really mad. I mean, all of them. My sister-in-laws, Wendy and Lori, Sarah, they're all. I mean, I was like, I'm not going in there, Sadie. We, are, we got a better chance of surviving out here, even after that, <laughs> than going in there. They're going to they're gonna kill me. Dumb story, but water. Are you seeing it? Think about your own life, the water. I remember some of my best moments as an adult and as a parent have been off of Myrtle Street. Erica Ashmore lives there surfing with my kids. Kennedy, Asher, Kaylee, Sadie. It was so much fun being in the ocean with them, watching them catch waves. They were so good at it. Even uh, Kaylee, she was younger, but she was like better than a lot of the boys out there. She's very competitive. It was just so much fun, man. Myrtle Street, water. Water's life. Asher, my oldest, he's a big fisherman. And he first got in when we bought our first house in San Pablo. There was a big pond out in front of it, and there was big bass in there, right? And I, I still have it. So we're on the first time he's ever catched a bass before, he's this little guy, looks just like her, so cute, smiley, happy all the time. And he's got this little green fisher pole. It's about this big. I still have it. It's in my locker at the fire station. I love it. I got all kinds of little things from when they were kids. But, he, you know, he hooks them. He's got that, that wide mouth, the big mouth bass, and he's like, oh, dad, I got him. Oh, like all excited. And I wasn't a fisherman, but I've heard him say, like, I was like, son, don't horse him in. You let him get tired. I didn't even really know what that means. And he's like, oh, I got it. I'm going to do it. And he's just so happy. And it's like this whole thing. And then the bass does like that. He jumps out, and you can see him. He's like, oh, the splash. In his excitement, he stops uh, reeling the fish. He puts it on his shoulder and just runs straight up the hill. And drags the, ba the bass onto the beach. It's like, oh, my God, I didn't expect that, but you did it, man. Wow. Maybe we should all be doing it like that. Just start running. It's so cute. I mean, I'll never forget it, but water, the, the whole thing. Kennedy, one of my children is from Uganda, and he, he was here when he was six. My mom used to have a pool. Middle of winter. Doesn't know how to swim. 
uh, we're just out there, me and my mom, we're like, oh, yeah, this is cool. And he just jumps right into the pool, <laughs> sinks directly to the bottom. It's deep. It's like eight feet deep. And I'm like, oh, I'm in this, full clothes. I'm like, oh, it's freezing. You can see him down there trying to figure out, like, uh-oh. How do I get back up? And my mom's like, David, he's going to drown. You're going to do something. So I'm like, oh, jump in, go get him, throw him back up there. He laughing his face off. Ha, 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 like thinks it's the greatest thing in the world. And I'm just like, God, parenting. Uh, I'm like, I'm soaking wet. I start to walk away. All of a sudden, that dude jumped right back in there. I was like, he's fearless till to this day. Now he can surf and swim like so good, and this is why. So we used to go camping with the Vens and the Williams, they're friends of ours, and our kids. We would take over these, these campsites, and one of the springs that we would go to is like 20 feet deep. Me and my buddy Ben, we would swim down and get like a big heavy rock. And if you've never done this, swimming that sucker back up, even if it wasn't like, I mean, it might have been like 30 pounds or something. It's really hard. Uh, very manly, I should say. But we swam it up, and I was a little better at it than him because more manly. Uh, and so we get it to the top, and we'd have Kennedy and Asher. Uh, they were little guys, and they couldn't make it all the way down there. So what we would do is we're like, all right, get over here. You know, treading water. We'd hand them the rock, and they'd be like, Phew! and they would bring them all the way to the bottom. It's clear. You could see it, and you could see when they hit the ground and freak out, trying to swim back up. It was just so cute. Water, man. You know, I mean, think about it. What about your life? What about your experiences? The last water story. So my uh, in-laws used to live in North Carolina. Sarah's dad still lives there. Um, and there's this creek that runs through there. It's like a river creek thing. And what we used to do when they were little is they would get on tubes and they'd float like two hours down. And we'd let them, we'd let them leave. Great parenting right there. Yeah, go, guys, go. And they'd be gone. I mean, just going through this beautiful creek, trees in the mountains. And there was a spot where you would pick them up. They knew when they got to the bridge, uh, we would pick them up. And the last time we were all together, probably cry about this. Um, just for a number of reasons. I'll get to that in a minute. Sorry. Um, the kids were big. They're teens now. And so they're like, let's float like the old days because they'd done it every year. And I was like, I want to go this time because I'm making memories and getting old, you know. And so I float with them, and it was awesome. Every bend of the river, one of them would go, remember when Zach jumped off of that tree? That's my nephew. It was so funny. And we'd turn and be like, remember when we were making those mud pies and throwing them at each other right here on this side? Of like they were just remembering the goodness, the times, the family, the blood, the water. Water's life, isn't it? So cool. What about your experiences, you know? Like what about your times? Imagine your life, the good of it all, the need for it, the drink. We want to live by it. We can't. We search the galaxy for it. And you know what? Just like Rob showed us, our tears are made of water, aren't they? Yeah, you know, we cry happy tears. But most often, right, and here's, here's what I want to get to with, with all of us is it starts, we can cry happy tears, but usually why are we crying? We're moved in some way maybe, but usually it's not. It's because of the blood, isn't it? The pain, right? The suffering, the suffering of, a lo of, a, of your, your loved one or your child or your friend. It's the blood that makes us cry, doesn't it, usually? When you lost somebody. I just lost my grandmother this year. I spent every summer with her in Pittsburgh. It was awesome. I can't touch her. Never talk to her again. Sarah just lost her mom, Celeste. We went to St. Augustine this week, and uh, it was her birthday, and it was just to kind of get away and celebrate. She got a cool new tattoo, and it's hard. Some of you have lost people just recently. Derek just lost his dad. He was saying pre-service prayer. He wishes he could just talk to him and tell him he loves him. He can't. You know, like the blood is when they're not with us, when they're, when it's over. 
Nobody likes to talk about it. I know it's hard. I don't like it either. But our tears are made of water. Your tears are made of water. And it's not just about us, huh? Like some of us in this room are going through a lot of things. But what about the people around us, the people in our lives or the people outside of our lives or just humanity in general? What about their water and their blood? Tyler Williams is a friend of mine. He's one of our city group leaders. Twice this week, he's called me and texted me. He has a landscaping company, and he found this family. He just happened upon them, and uh, he's moved, compassion. He wants to help them. They're homeless. They don't speak good English, and he's calling me, and uh, he's like, what can we do? Can the church do something? I'm like, I don't know, man. I could maybe work on something, but he's just moved because he's seeing that they're, they're sweating, they're bleeding, they're suffering. And he's not here today because he's dealing with his own, own stuff similar to this. Crazy to me. What about them? You know? I mean, being a fireman, I tell these stories, but I have seen a lot of blood. 16 years. Clint could tell you the same thing. Just this, just this month, I, had, I crawled inside a completely mangled up car with my bunker pants on to try to get this guy out. His, I was covered in his blood. My bunker pants, my, my arms, my hands trying to save him. I've, I've seen some stuff, man. I've seen, I've been, in, I've been in people's homes that I have never met and watched them wail. Great, huge, watery tears for what they're dealing with. Cancer, sickness, suicide, tragedies, accidents like that car that no one's fault. What about them, you know? And what about the world in general? I mean, I, I remember the first time, what does it all mean? Like, is there meaning to the blood and the tears? Yeah, it's fun, it's happy to reminisce, but is there meaning to it? Is there a purpose to this water and blood? Like, did God, where's God when these things turn hard? You know, like, what's the meaning of it? I remember the first time I got to go to Uganda uh, one of our missions partners is based there. It's a co-refuge. And Sarah and I went with just a small group. There was only like five of us. And uh, it was the first time we ever met Kennedy. And uh, we were there to do this whole um, p- pastor's conference. They plant churches there. We're, pl- we're planning to try to do the same thing. We're going to try to plant a church uh, soon. And you'll hear m- more about that uh, in a little bit. But uh, it was awesome, man. We go do the preacher pastor stuff. It's cool. And then one day, Tyler and Lee like, hey, we're going to go to this local hospital and we're going to pray for people. And we're like, oh, yeah, we're spiritual. We'd love doing that. And they take us to this hospital. And man, this is not uh, like a hospital. Very dirty, no, understaffed, no supplies. Basically, it was like just where they put people that were slowly dying and had no one to take care of them. They were abandoned human beings. It was terrible. I've seen some stuff. As a fireman, this was worse, way worse. Just the, the grief, the sorrow, the agony, it was just like, holy cow, we're, we're trying to pay, pray, for these forgotten, uh, pray for these forgotten people. And I'll never forget it. We, went, we got to the back of this hospital, and there was this mother and this little baby, and the baby looked about maybe 12 months old, right? But when we got over there with the translators, we, we found out that the baby was actually close to two years old, but it was starving. It was so malnourished. That it didn't grow, it stopped growing. She, she, not eat. It, she did stop growing. Like she was tiny, suffering, man. And the mother, like I've never seen a human, I can still see her eyes in, in my mind. Like I've never seen a human being look dead, but still breathing. Like she, life had taken everything from her. She had done everything she could possibly do to try to take care of her little girl. And there was no way to get food. 
And this child was so sick that she couldn't, the, the, uh, I guess when starvation sits, it sets into the human body, even drinking water, the body will have a, a violent reaction to it sometimes. So they had no, they had no IV, no flu, no way of taking care of this little baby. Now, when a baby cries, a healthy, normal one, when you hear it, it's instinctively, what do we do? We, oh, oh, there's a baby. Like, okay, who, something's wrong with the baby. When this baby cried, it was the worst sound I ever heard. I, I, you couldn't even believe she could make any noise. And I'm panicking. We're all panicking, and I don't want to what to do. And I'm like. What's going to happen to her? Like, she doesn't know what's happening to her. She just knows she's starving and no one's feeding her. She's thirsty and she's, she needs something to drink. There was, there's no one to fight for her. She's, she's got no one to advocate for her. And I realized part of my panic was that I knew I wasn't going to do anything. Like, I was on a trip, right? Like, I was just going to get on a plane and no one would remember her. What was the point of her water and blood? I knew I wasn't going to do anything. I was moved, but I didn't know what to do, truthfully. What's the meaning and purpose of it all, man? When, what are we supposed to do with the reality of our, mort- our mortality, our, our finiteness, right? What do we do with this? Tim Keller, I like the way he said it. When he, when he got his cancer diagnosis, he said this. Um, when the certainty of your morality and death finally breaks through, is there a way to face it without debilitating fear? Is there a way to spend the time you have left growing in greater love, grace, and wisdom? I believe there is, but it requires both emotional engagement and intellectual engagement, head work and heart work. And I think he's right. I think that's the way you tackle this water and blood and meaning and God, where are you? Like, we need to do head and heart work. And I don't think there's any place better than in the scriptures. The scriptures lead the way. God put them there on purpose, and I think specifically, he's talking about it here, there's a road map. Let's do some head work and some heart work. After I made you feel all those kind of ways, we'll get back to it. Um, Let's read uh, the first verse here, John uh, 5, 6. This is the one that came by water and blood, Jesus. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. To me, it's if John is saying, Jesus, this Jesus, don't listen to the the world. This Jesus is water and blood. He's real. And he knows what you go through. He understands because he was one of us. He's just like you and me. He knows your sorrows. He He was a man of sorrows, the Bible says. He knows your pain. He took so much pain before he even was nailed to the cross. They beat him. He knows pain. He knows. He knows. Can you imagine? Is it possible that that he knows and he literally uses those two things, water and blood, baptism and communion, to communicate not only remember me, but yes, I know this is what you're made of. I know what you're going through. This is Jesus now. Can you imagine? In his infiniteness, could he be communicating something like that to us? Is it just a coincidence that we are made of water and blood? John says it here, and Jesus has us baptized and remember his shed blood during communion. It communicates so much about our existence, our connection with God. John is saying you can know him personally, and he's saying, hey, I'm going to do this thing. Look at it, water, blood. I know, I know what you're going through. I'm going to redeem it. In fact, he says, I'm going to make it new. His plan is to make it new, to redeem it. To remind us that he knows. Remember my sacrifice, but it's also, hey, I know 
the water. I know your water. I know your blood. Let's keep going. This is where it's about to get real cool. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three are in agreement. Now, I'm gonna do, we're going to do a little Greek lesson here in a second. John was a Hebrew writing in street Greek, common Greek. It's known as Koine Greek, right? And it was known for having lots of misspellings and a lot of slang words, right? It'd be like, uh, I look at Mike and I'm like, uh, hey, what's up, big dog? He's not a dog, right? Like, obviously, but you know what I mean. You know, like, they had slang words. How do you translate? Well, he's not actually a dog, but that's a loving term you call a buddy because that doesn't make any sense, right? Misspellings. Ben Williams, one of my buddies, he grew up as a missionary, and he learned Spanish. We went on our first um, surfing trip. I almost said mission trip. It was for surfing. Uh, he, he'd speak all the Spanish, and they, knew, they would ask him where he's from. To me, it all sounds exactly the same. They could tell by his slang and his tone that, yes, he spoke Spanish, but he wasn't from Costa Rica. Same concept here. Can you imagine translating these from Hebrew to Greek, later into Latin, and then into the King James into English? Crazy. The words are deep. The meanings are deep. I'm going to show you. Um, The three part, let's point that out real quick. For those of you note takers, Deuteronomy 19, 15, uh, the validity of a personal testimony in court was linked to a specific number, number of credible witnesses. We kind of still do that. Two or three witnesses that were credible was how you established a valid testimony or charge or innocence, innocence of a crime. So we got three of him here on purpose, the spirit, the water, and the blood. Now let's look at that word spirit. In the Greek, I'm going to show you, if you like this stuff, you can write this down. It, I don't know how you pronounce it, uh, pneumia. Almost looks like pneumonia, like half a pneumonia, doesn't it? Um, but listen to this. You ready for this? In the simplest form, this means the breath, the breath. Now go back to the garden when Adam was made, blood and water, but no life into him. What happens? The breath of God is breathed into him and gives him life. The three, the breath of God, the spirit of God is truth. That word truth in common Greek, aletheia. All right, you ready for this one? This one's even better. It literally means broken down, and there's lots of meanings here, just complex, but when you, when you do a study on it, it literally means the unforgetting, the unforgetting. So the spirit, the breath of God is the unforgetting. He's the one thing that can never be forgotten. His truth will always stand forever and ever. Though I may pass away, my blood and my water may end. His will never end. It's unforgetting. This is the spirit of God. This is the truth of, re, of, of eternity. Eternity has been set in the hearts of men. You heard that, that scripture before? The unforgetting is within all of us. It tells us that God is true, cruel, cannot pass away. The unforgetting. The spirit provides for our blood and water what we, we could never acquire on our own, right? Life. Without the breath of God, we're, we're just clay. We're just There's no life to it, but the three, they testify together. They testify that God's testimony is valid. It's credible. It's trustworthy. In any court of law, in the court of law of the universe, God's own, the God God himself's own testimony is credible. All three agree. What are they agreeing on? Verse 9, we accept human testimony, but God's testimony, remember the three, is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his son, who is Jesus. Think about it. How quickly 
when the blood and water of this life gets hard, do we quickly move in just a human testimony, don't we? I can see this, I can touch this, and I, I'm gonna forget this faith stuff, forget this Bible stuff, forget this belief stuff. All I can see is what's in front of me, and I'm just, I'm gonna ignore the unforgetting truth of the gospel, the unforgetting truth of Jesus and who he is, because I'm in the thick of it. How quickly do we accept human testimony and move away from faith sometimes? I've done, I do it all the time. I, I, our tendency is to believe that because it's right in front of us and forget about the promises that are in scripture about God himself, the spirit. And what about, not, not just we, what about all of it? Like if you really let it start to compound, the whole weight of the world gets on you. Well, what I'm suffering and this person's suffering and the, these, this baby is suffering in Africa or whatever, just like, what about all of them, you know? Like, what about all the blood, blood and water? Is there any meaning to this? And can you imagine those that call yourselves Christians, what if we're to be moved? What if God puts a spirit in us and our blood and water is moved to act, to do things, to do the things that he said to love? We're not just called the church, we're called the body. What if the body was moved to do things like Tyler was trying to do? To help, to love, to bring people in. Or like, I'll never forget this till the day I die. I'll never forget Tyler and Lee, the founders of ACOA, fighting to get that mom and that baby into their space, to get the, them into their community, into their family, and love them. They were moved. Their blood, blood and water was moved for the sake of those, that baby. When are we going to be moved again? I ask you. I'm asking myself. I know I'm preacher. We're preachers. We get excited about this. But when are we going to be moved? Jesus himself said, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done unto me. I was hungry and you fed me, huh? I was naked and you clothed me. When are we going to be moved? Like Rob and fill up a backpack and care. I mean, it matters. It matters. This is the commands of Scripture. I was hungry and you fed me. I know there's a lot of ways we can unpack that, but that's why I think John talks about love. Love. If you're unsure, the best theology always is love. Kindness is always the best and right thing to do. Can never go wrong. The tears, man. Back to the water. Sorry, that was a little sidebar. Back to verse 10. Ready? Uh, whoever, this is the last little Greek lesson and we'll be done with the Greek stuff. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts or receives this testimony. Uh, in the NLT it says receives. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony of God about his son. I feel like John laughed when he wrote that out loud. Like, Pfft. As if God can lie, right? Like, you're making God be out a liar. Like, there's no, he would cease to be God. God cannot lie. His testimony is valid. It's true. It's the only thing that sustains everything. For his truth, his unforgetting is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The world will pass away, but his truth, his word will never. It is the pinnacle of all things. Awesome. So that word belief in that sentence is the Greek word uh, pisteo. I don't know how to say that either, but in the simplest form, it's a verb. It's written in a verb. It means trust. It's not just acknowledging that Mike is my dog, like he's my dog. It's like, no, there is an active trust. Thank you for laughing at that. Uh, active trust and confidence is what that word means, pisteo. It's a verb. It's active. It's alive. It's moving. It's like uh, you're taking this truth of God and you're putting it in your head and your heart and you're believing it and it's driving everything that you do in your life. 
active trust. Whoever believes the testimony of God, who trusts in the name of Jesus, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what is happening to my blood and water, the truth is that he saves and nothing else does, that Jesus, the Son of God, is coming back. And what if we were moved as a body to tell anyone and everyone we could about that truth, the life course, get as many people as we can that don't know to hear that we could tell them Jesus is coming back. And when his feet touch, his blood and water feet touch the Mount of Olives, it literally will change the landscape of Jerusalem and Judea. It will change with a great earthquake. And with a voice, the voice of creation, louder than any trumpet, he will declare, I am making all things new. I've come for mine. I've come for my sons. I've come for my daughters. I'm fixing the crooked paths and I'm making them straight. Jesus, tell as many of them, no matter what happens, that he's coming back, that he loves you, that he's been preparing a place for you. All that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says in scripture that God is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those that are crushed in spirit. I don't know why there is suffering in the world. But I know Tyler and Lee tried to alleviate as much of it as they could because they followed Jesus. The daily action of holding on to the witness, the testimony, the promises of God in our minds and hearts. The unforgetting. Verse 11, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Incredible. Whoever has the son has life, and whoever does not have the son does not have life. Through it all. The blood, sweat, the tears, the water of life, through all the grief, through all the blood, through all the pain, put your trust and confidence in Jesus. That's the purpose of it all. I don't know why all this other stuff happens. I've never heard anybody, preacher guy or not, tell me why we go through the things we go through. But I, I, I mean, there's so much to wrestle with. I mean, not just because I'm a fireman. I don't know everything. There's so much to wrestle in life. We all wrestle with with. With everything, at the midst of just trying to live and get by, we think about spirituality and is there a heaven, is there a hell, is there a God, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting through life. And I want to say this, if you haven't heard anything else I've said, listen to this part, please. I've been a Christian almost 38, uh, 30 years now, 28 years ago, I was 15. And the only thing that I am convinced of right now more than ever is that the love of Jesus is so powerful it's so expansive, it's so genuine, it's so, it's so true, it's so unforgetting that he himself would satisfy his own equally true and, and expansive judgment by taking my sin and shedding his own blood and sweating his own water for me, for you. I'm convinced of it. It's the promise that I have in my heart. Why I get up here and cry, make a fool of myself. So because I believe it, it's in there, it's driving Everything that I do, or at least I try, I try to follow Jesus. And I would say that to you. Is it in your heart? Is it in your soul? Is it driving that Jesus saves and there's nothing in this world that can do it? There's no one like Jesus. He's beautiful. And he's tried so many ways to communicate it. Water, blood, baptism, my cross. He loves us. I'm convinced that Jesus' love is the most powerful thing in the universe. I like the way Augustine said it. This is one of his, his most famous quotes. Maybe this is the, the purpose and the meaning of it all. Thou, thou has made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until we find their rest in thee. Water and blood, baptism and cross. Jesus' water and blood gives mine, mine life, he saves. There's no one like Jesus. 
You see, Jesus, uh, Jesus was baptized, his own cousin, John, John Baptist baptized him. The Bible says he goes to the Jordan River and he asks his cousin to baptize him. And John's like, no way, man. I know who you are. We might be cousins, but I know who you are. You're the unforgetting. You're the truth that will always stand. I can't do it. I'm not worthy. I don't care if we're, we're blood. You're the one. You're the lamb. Can you imagine John saying it and knowing it was true? You're the lamb. You're going you're to shed your blood. I can't do it. I can't baptize you. I'm not even worried to candle, carry your shoes, Jesus. I love the way the message, uh, the message translation says that Jesus responded to his cousin. Let's read it. Matthew 3, 15. But Jesus insisted, do it. Do it, John. God's work, putting these things right, all these centuries is coming together right now in this baptism. Beautiful. And John did it. Did it. Jesus descended into that water just like all of us that have been baptized and made a profession of faith. And when he came out, he walked this road and he preached his message. He told about how he saves. He promised he was coming back to save those. He came to seek and save the lost. And at the end of it all, what does he do? He gets up on that cross and he gives his life. He sheds his blood, water and blood. And when he cried his loud, when Jesus gave up his spirit and he said, it is finished, what did they do? The soldiers took that spear. They pierced him to see if he had died what happened water and blood flowed there's no one like Jesus may we never forgive his sacrifice for us glory to his name will you stand father I God I pray for each of us today I know some of that stuff can be intense but God you it's so how quickly do we forget how quickly do we get our eyes off of you and eyes on our circumstances and just look at human testimony human witness of what's going on what's happening around us god but please god it said when two it says in scripture when we gather two or three that you're with us god please don't let us forget the unforgetting this morning god remind us of your sacrifice remind us of how you came to seek and save us remind us jesus how you took our sins Remind us that maybe we'll just be restless until we all the, all the time, until we figure out how to rest in you, to carry and cast our burdens on you. Jesus, teach us, help us, Holy Spirit. We love you, God.